Um, getting people registered to vote and getting people to show up to the polls. And so that's what many of the players in the last 24 hours have really been using their platforms to do is to raise that kind of awareness, but also still speak out about the injustice and, and you know, trying to get more attention on, on, this, on uh, justice for Breonna Taylor. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi, those are great guys on all social media platforms, and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. back here inside the studios of WNSC, the Sebi Podcast radio show, streaming in 15 different platforms worldwide here in our headquarters studios in Central Florida. Sunny day, 81 degrees. Your host, myself, Sebi, alongside Michael Gray in the DMV. What's popping in the DMV, Mike? Oh, man, everything's good, man. Um, It's going good, man. It's been, um, been a crazy week this week. But uh, sports-wise, everything's all well. Um, you know, the Redskins—they they dropped the ball this week with their their, their game against Arizona. They didn't—they didn't, they didn't come out aggressive. They came out turning the ball over. They came out looking like a dysfunctional, uh, uh, undisciplined team. And uh, and it showed it showed early. And I, I will, but I will say this though: to instead of knocking on the Redskins all the time, I will say Kyler Murray is special. Kyle yes, man. And he, he, he showed it a big time this week. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. We'll talk about. Kyler Murray and what he's done through two weeks to kick off his MVP campaign later on uh, on the show um, here as well. Um, but we want to start off with, of course, the main event throughout these uh, uh, COVID times, should we say, the NBA playoffs. We're up to the conference finals here. Four games in last night, game four of the Eastern Conference Finals, Miami up 2-1 in the series. And Boston looking to tie it up and make it a best of three. But that wasn't the case, Mike. Tyler Hero playing hero ball. 37 points in the game. Youngest player ever to score 37 in a playoff game. And second youngest for the most points in playoff history behind, obviously, Magic Johnson did it in 81, forced to 15 and seven in a game seven in a finals, which is insane. But Tyler Hero and elite company. And what the Miami Heat did, Mike, is, again, you know, we, we both agree that Boston is probably the more talented team in the series. But what Miami's doing right now is they're beating them with heart, with will, with effort. People got diving on the on the floor. They're winning the rebound. They're dominating them on the glass. They're knocking down their threes. And one thing you can never say, Mike, about Pat Riley teams, whether that be when he was coaching in the 80s with the Lakers, the 90s with the Knicks and Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley, and now as a GM with the Miami Heat and the culture that he's built is you can never question the toughness of Pat Riley teams. They literally scout and they identify players that fit their style, their brand, their scheme of what they want to do. And and I and, and Mike, you know, that that Hawaiian guy that they got, Eric Spolstra, man, he can coach Mike. I I, I questioned him. I questioned him because I, I said, well, if I had James Wade and Bosch, <laughs> I wouldn't think it'd be hard to <laughs> to to uh, uh to coach either. But man, since they've left, 
He's continued. They, I think they went to the playoffs again in 2015. And ever since, he's just been one of the top coaches in the NBA that that guy can really coach and has definitely outcoached Brad Stevens through four games, Mike. So as it stands, the Miami Heat have a commanding 3-1 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, they definitely do. And, um, you know, Eric Spolstra is one of the more, under, the more underrated, but he's really starting to get his just due, um, you know, over the last few years. People are – you know, have wondered when you know LeBron came to Miami and they had that, um, you know, their 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 their, uh, their championship runs in the early two twenty tens. They people were wondering how great of a coach Eric Spoelstra was would, would be after LeBron left, and he's he's kept this team afloat. He's kept this team uh, at at peak cha- at peak um, competition level, and Miami is one of those teams that uh that has shown over the years, like you said, that toughness, that grit, that tenacity. Um, it's, it's a special bunch. Eric Spoelstra has a lot to do with it. And also, uh, along with all the ways that you said that, you know, Miami has beaten the Boston Celtics in this series with heart, with uh, with, uh, with grit and everything like that, they've also beaten it with IQ. They just seem to make smarter plays at smarter times and, and, be, and be at the right place at the right time for this for this ball club. And, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been special what we've seen for Miami. Miami is uh, – Tyler, Tyler Hero has put his entire – skill set on display last game. He wasn't just a spot up shooter in the corner waiting for somebody to pass the ball to him. He was he was creating off the dribble. He was shooting off the dribble. He was knocking down mid-range jump shots. He was taking guys to the rack. Uh it, it was a full display of Tyler Hero's skill set in that game. And they needed all 37 of those points to win that ball game because I thought Jimmy Butler was a little too passive at times throughout that game when he should have been more assertive. So because Tyler Hero was as was as uh dominant as he was and they made the right plays in key situations with other players like Iguodala who got more minutes yesterday in Game Four than he has throughout most of the series and most of the most of the bubble in general? He he was a key contributor to them defensively because of all the turnovers that he forced in the fourth quarter and also so scattered throughout the game. So, but Tyler Hero and Miami and this culture and everything that they that they've cultivated, uh, their one went away from the NBA Finals and wow, it's 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 amazing to watch. But um, I'd say this: what this series isn't over yet. The Boston Celtics still have. Are very capable of making a seven-game series, and um, but right now Miami, Miami is like the more, the the hungrier team, and they look like the smarter, the smarter team. That they they're playing with better IQ right now. No doubt, Miami. They're definitely in the driver's seat there for sure. And it has to be said too, this zone I, I think has bothered Boston, right? Yeah. And you would think in the previous series. The mad scientist that obviously Nick Nurse is, he, Boston probably have seen everything from yeah. boxing ones to zones to two, three to three, two to uh, all, uh, full court press to everything. But it's the Miami, you know, whether it's the personnel or I don't know, the zone has really bothered them. Jason Tatum had zero points in the first half. Obviously, he got cooking late, had 20, all 28 in the second half, but maybe a little too late. Guys like Jalen Brown, who I thought in game three put his head down and physically imposed his will to go to the rack. Didn't do that much in game four. Uh, It was a little bit tentative and passive. And um, those corner threes, which he obviously hits, and that's his jump shot, and that's his spot, weren't going in. And so Boston, you know, know, I I think they brought this on themselves, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Like you blow leads in game one and you blow big leads in game two. And a series where, at worst, you should be tied at 2-2. You find yourself down in a 1-3 hole. Mm-hmm. You kind of, those, those big leads that they've blown, Mike, is starting to come back and haunt them now, right? So it remains to be seen. Uh, Gordon Hayward, I thought, didn't have the impact that he did in Game 3 when he first came back. And Wanamaker, uh, for some reason, had his minutes reduced. And so it's. I think Brad Stevens has to go back to the drawing board. He's been thoroughly out coaching these uh, uh, playoffs in especially in this series. And um, we're going to have to see what he what he can bring up. And sometimes the players, too, got to take initiative as well. Kemba Walker's got to step up. I think the Kemba Walker that scores, you know, 70 to 17 to 20 points a game can't happen in this series. We need cardiac Kemba. We need UConn Kemba to, to step up. And um, I, I look for Boston to, uh, uh, you know, see if they can make this a series. Mike, can they win a game? I think so. But. Can they come back? I just think Miami's built different. I, I'm. I don't know if they can squander this three-point lead. 
three one. It's 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 tricky for me because yesterday uh, earlier, you know, the, the first half struggles for the Boston Celtics. Yes, it had a lot to do with you know that zone and the fact that you know it threw it threw the Celtics off a little bit for Miami, but also the fact that that four day layoff. It seemed like that four day layoff affected the Celtics offensively a lot more than it did for Miami. Because Boston was knocking, was missing makeable shots in the first half that they usually knock down. If you saw, noticed in Game Three, and you saw a little bit in Game Two as well, Boston was getting familiar and getting um, very well adjusted to that zone. Right. You saw how good they played in Game Three, and they dominated most of the game before squandering the lead in the fourth quarter. That four-day layoff was was very key to me because that that you need you want that continuity and that flow and that uh, that that in-game shape to keep on going and. When you when you have that layoff like that, sometimes it can it can hurt. And you saw it took them an entire half to knock the rust off and to finally get get their legs under them. Jason Tatum was missing shots all first half, but had twenty eight in the second half and looked like himself. Gordon Hayward was knocking down shots, uh, turn away fadeaways in the second half. Jalen Brown, they looked like the well loyal uh, Celtics uh, in the second half offensively that we've come used to seeing. And you question, you may it makes you wonder had they had at least a, a semblance of that effort. Or that, or that um, efficiency offensively in the in the uh, first half that they did the second, they put they more than likely would have won this ball game. So I think the fact that they're back on the uh, you know every other day schedule now, that that's going to help them a lot, and that could help them in these next couple games uh, to where they can extend this series. But I, I'm not taking anything away from Miami. Miami just uh, the zone definitely uh, worried them, and they definitely look like a hungrier team. But Boston with their talent, it's so hard to just. Sweep that under the rug and say, "Oh, they 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 have too much firepower to just go out that that easily." No doubt. There's another what conference finals as well, and that's the Western Conference Finals that's aired on TNT. The Lakers take a two-one series lead. Game four is tonight, nine Eastern, mm-hmm. on all Turner Sports Networks. Uh, in this series, it it could easily be Denver up two-one, right? If AD doesn't make that game-winning shot as time expires in game two, we could have a different story here. Um, uh, although I think the Lakers have, have obviously are up now 2-1 in the series, but I do think Denver has been the better team in the last six quarters. That goes third and fourth quarter of game two and also the last game where obviously they won in game three and dominated a wire-to-wire win. Um, I thought Jamal Murray really started cooking and starting to get the thing. And here's the thing, Mike. This is what I've noticed with Denver. Where I know with Denver is it's trial and error. They like to experiment in the first two, three games of a season. But the longer the series get, the better the Nuggets get. Yeah. So it, it, I I wouldn't advise them to be down three one because sometimes it can get and come back and haunt you. But the the longer the series get, Denver tends to get better. I think that what they do is they strategize and experiment. What can we exploit early on? And then later on, they go ahead and do that. And that was the demise of the Clippers, that 1-5 pick and roll of Jokic and Murray. But um, Jeremy Grant was spectacular in game three. But in game four, you know, you saw the Lakers late in that fourth quarter starting to make a run. So I'm excited to see in this game four tonight and, and, and what the Denver Nuggets have to do or what the Lakers can do to respond. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited as well because as you saw in that last game, Denver, Denver, Denver totally outplayed them in all phases, and you saw that. You know, of course, LeBron with his triple double, yes, he's going to put up his numbers, and Anthony Davis had a solid twenty-seven. But the uh, no, the others didn't show up. Danny Green was um, it was was very uh, inefficient, and it was wasn't knocking down his shots. Kyle Kuzma was okay, but okay is not going to uh, uh, get it done in the Western Conference Finals. You know, you had other guys that just didn't step up for the Lakers and. <laughs> And it came back to hurt him. Denver was a well-oiled machine all around, the, all across the board. Of course, Murray was phenomenal. Did his thing. Nikola Jokic was uh, was out there doing his thing as well. But when you look at it from the standpoint of Jerry and uh, Jerry and Grant, who had 24 points, so he, he he knocked down his shot. Monte Morris with 14. You know they had con- key contributions from guys across the board, and they look like the well-oiled machine that we've seen passing the ball, using utilizing their total depth. That's that's the Denver Nuggets that we we become accustomed to seeing. And then in the fourth quarter, once game once the game gets close, or once they have an opportunity, you know they almost had a, they almost squandered the lead there. But um, you know they they were able to settle in and knock down some key shots and get some key defensive stops. That that won the game for them. And you just saw the confidence and the swag. I mean that that Jamal Murray three at the end of the the game to put him up by twelve. That that that, that that's just a, a new level of confidence. And that's the swagger that we've seen him play with this entire bubble. And that Denver team. That confidence going into Game Four, knowing that they've dominated dominated pretty much the last six quarters, 
Uh, that that's that, that's a scary sight for the Los. Who Angeles. does he remind you of, Mike? I, I've heard a lot of people start. That's been a question and a trend lately. Who does Jamal Murray remind you of? Who who does he remind you of? Okay, I'm gonna say this. I, I see a small resemblance, a small resemblance in the Gilbert Arenas. You know, didn't like the comparison no. uh, of who I, who would you take because it's so early in his career. But early in Gilbert's career, I saw Gilbert being with this with this offensive confidence with Washington, and, and even even with you know Golden Golden State, it was it was it's it's something it's something about those offensive threats that no matter what year they are, no matter where they are, they can get their shots at any spot on the court, and that's exactly what Jamal Murray does. He can get his spot on his shot anywhere on the court. Um, <laughs> He's a he's playing a point guard, but he's really almost like a true two guard. That's why I really remind him. He reminds me a lot of Gilbert. Oh, okay. That that's that's actually a good one because the, a lot of people has been saying Agent O, and we know Agent O. You probably know him better than oh, I. Oh goodness! I mean, <laughs> come on oh. now. That Agent O was special. By the time he got to Orlando, probably on his last legs. But prime Agent O was dangerous. But see, I I I. I I agree to disagree on that. He reminds me a little bit of Chauncey Billups, and here's why. Maybe Chauncey wasn't the prolific scorer that Jamal is, right? But when I look at intangibles, like leadership, clutch performer, Mm -hmm. down the stretch, you need a big bucket. They called him big shot Billups for a reason. He reminds me of that a little bit. He he does. He does. I I, I see resemblance of of the, the... the not the original bad boy pistons, but the 04 pistons in that he's got a little dog in him too. I I, I don't think he's the athlete. I don't think Billups is the athlete that Jamal is, but I see it comparisons uh, in in their games as in terms of when you need them to hit a bucket most and you need them to be a clutch performer down the stretch, they deliver. I I, I see that. I, I, and that's that's not a bad comparison. I see. Where you're coming from, as far as the intent, the only, the only, the only difference between their two games is the fact that Jamal, you know, Jamal Murray was a more was more skilled offensively. But but outside of that, you know, big shots and you know intangibles, leadership, things of that nature. I I see where you're coming from with that. You can also say it could be a combination of both Gilbert and Chauncey, based on those two intangibles. Right, right, agree there as well. What are your X factors for tonight in Game Four? If the Nuggets want to tie the series to two, um, or uh, it, what are your X factors for the Lakers as well? For the Nuggets, for the Nuggets, has got to be the others to bring the bring the energy to the table. We know what Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic, and um, um, Murray, Jamal Murray are going to do. We know what they're going to bring to the table. But Jerry and Grant, he comes out and has another dominant performance uh, offensively that he does because we know what he brings to the table defensively and the effort that he brings. He comes out offensively, has another game. We know that that that's going to be huge. Michael Porter Jr. to come in to step in and continue to bring those effort plays on the defensive side and be able to knock down his shots, that three-point shot that he that he can make. On the offensive side of the ball, Monte Morris, guys like that stepping in. Paul Millsap, you know, with his gritty, his his tough, his toughness and his IQ and understanding of what what this this team needs to get a win for the Nuggets. If they bring that and they hone in defensively and get key stops and rebound the basketball, they they have a great chance to win this game. And for the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis, he has to come back and have, look like the dominant Anthony Davis that we've seen this entire playoffs. Obviously, when you look at, um, you know, the last game, he had 27 points, but only two rebounds. That's not like Anthony Davis. That's not him. He, in order for this team to win, he has to dominate the boards. He has to get he has to get in the paint and be as be as dominant as he's been for, for the rest of, for the most of the playoffs. And LeBron James, he has to be more impactful. Yes, he had 30, 11, and 10 these last game, but how how much did it really impact the game when it comes out with a loss and you went down double digits for majority of the game? So it has to be impactful. These guys have to have to get it in. The, the others have to step up for them. And defensively, they defensively is the key for the Lakers. The Lakers pride themselves on defense because they've right. never been the the hottest shooting team. They never relied on their shooting offensively. Now they're streaky. They they get hot from outside. Everybody else can can knock down shots. They're a streaky right. team. But have they ever relied on that on a consistent basis? No. They got to get back to the Lakers that locks down defensively. That can that forces. Um, Turnovers that it just makes it tough on the on the key guys for the Nuggets, and if they do that along with what they can bring to the table offensively from their two best players. The Lakers can make can can win this game. Agreed, agreed. There, I, I think my 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 key for that series tonight for the Lakers. I think LeBron should set the tone tonight, and I expect them to set the tone tonight. Um, again, 
And and how LeBron plays is he he's 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 like a great quarterback, Mike. You know, he likes to set the tone as in terms of getting his teammates involved. AD let him get feeding, and in third and fourth quarter, he likes to turn on the engine. But I think tonight you'll see that earlier on, at LeBron James being able to be aggressive, attacking the basket, putting his head down rather than um, settling and taking fadeaway jump shots or step-back jump shots that he does um, there as well. But my X factor tonight is Kyle Kuzma, right? My, uh, Kyle Kuzma. You got a guy like Jeremy Grant who's who's taking them to the rack and actually posting them up. Mm-hmm. You, they get switches when you get switches on, on Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is deliberately asking Jokic to set the screen for the guy that's guarding Kuzma to get that switch on him on top of the key, and they're attacking him. So I look for Kuzma to respond big time tonight for the Lakers. And if they can do that, Lakers set themselves up in great position to win. But for the uh, Denver Nuggets themselves, two things. I I think one guy is MPJ. I think Michael Porter Jr., you got to get some contribution off the bench. Jeremy Grant has his game. Monte Morris had their game already. But the others, like you mentioned, Mike, I think this is MPJ's moment time to – we're not asking for – 37 like here or off the bench but can you contribute a good 15 to 18 even 20 right and i think that that would be bode well for them going late down the stretch in the fourth quarter and i think michael malone should play bobo a lot more in this series and here's why obviously bobo doesn't have the size to combat with the bigs like uh anthony davis or uh dwight howard or even javel mcgee inside but i do think that he can rebound and i do think he stretches the floor a guy that you bring Dwight Howard out of the paint and you have to, you know, be able to respect because he can shoot perimeter jump shots and that stretches the floor and opens things up for Murray and Jokic to operate in the half court. And so I think those two things Michael Malone should adjust and to think about. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, that, that's interesting actually because, you know, it's one thing to have Bo Ball out there on the floor, but it's another thing to have Bo Ball out there along with Nikola Jokic, who can who can actually be on AD, and you can you don't have to worry about Bo Ball being on AD, and you you have him on on defensively on somebody else, and you know he he Jokic can cancel AD out on the rebounds, which can free up Bo Ball because nobody else size wise can compete with him, uh, for the rebounds height wise. Excuse me. So uh, that's an interesting take, and that be it. That would that would um that 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 would give the advantage to. The Nuggets in, in key situations on both sides of the ball. Yep, it would do as well. Although, if the Denver Nuggets were to go down three-one, Mike, <laughs> that narrative starts to happen again. Can they do it three times in a row? It's a different beast. It's, it's a tall task. It's it's a steep hill to climb down three-one against LeBron and AD. But of course, uh, they'll do it again. You know what's crazy? They actually asked the NBA if they can start their series down three-one. But of course, <laughs> the NBA said no. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit funny. Uh, there as well, which, which um, <laughs> they wanted to do that. I don't know if they want to trade Mark Bean down three one for what they've done, but you know what they say: those comeback kids from the Mile High, they just never give up, don't they? No, you sure don't. The Sebi Podcast Radio Show. When we come back, the voice of Girl Talk Sports TV, Christina Williams, gives us the inside scoop of the WNBA playoffs. That also has their conference finals live inside of our headquarters inside Studio Z. Here we're back in the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming to you worldwide. Opulent inventory, opulent inventory. My guys, Nashley and uh, Gardy, the Apple plug. That's right. Now you can finally have the Apple products times the Apple guys. That's right. Twenty percent off promo code podcast gets you covered and gets you the Apple product of your dreams. Visit Opulent Inventory and all social media platforms. As promised, we have Christina Williams from Girls Talk Sports TV. A lot that's been going on in the WNBA um, as well. So talk to us about um, what's been going on right now. I know the awards has been coming out 
Candace Parker won Defensive Player of the Year this year um, as well, and well-deserving of that. Yeah, so first and foremost, thank you for having me on the show today. Um, yeah, so the semifinals are happening right now in the WNBA. Um, you have the Seattle Storm going up against the Minnesota Lynx and the Connecticut Sun against the Las Vegas Aces, and those games are happening tonight. And, yeah, the WNBA uh, announced the last few WNBA awards, and Candace Parker held a press conference today and just talked about what it meant in her 13th year to win this award for the first time in her career, um, you know, just proving the critics wrong in season 13 and locking in and being focused this season, she mentioned, was like the key things to um, earning that award this season. And then Lainey of the Atlanta Dream won most improved player, someone who was cut from the Indiana Fever back in June and signed with the Atlanta Dream. So very well deserving of that award. Yeah, definitely there for sure. Uh, I saw Candace Parker, she spoke about crediting Pat Summit um, after winning the Defensive Player of the Year and the tools that she learned from her back in her days from Tennessee. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we know that Coach Summit was a huge, huge influence in Candace's life. And um, she, yeah, she preached um, about how much uh, Coach Summit was huge on defense and how she carried that over into her professional career and how she keeps that with her when she gets on the floor. And so Candace is definitely very deserving of that award. She proved this season that, you know, she can play really effectively on both ends of the floor um, and and help her team. So although the season kind of ended for the Sparks, um, you know, Candace really pulled through for her team. They finished third overall, so. No doubt, no doubt. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Christine, Christina, talk to me about, um, you know, Asa Wilson winning the MVP because, you know, without Liz Cambage, without Kelsey Plum this year, Las Vegas Aces are still a very deep team. They're, very, they're still a very deep basketball team. Talk to me about what she's meant to this ball club and how just dominant she's been all season long. I mean, yeah, uh, Asia Wilson uh, won the season's MVP, um, uh, but you can't really count them out. You know, Coach Lambeer has been amazing this season mm-hmm. and, and leading this team to finish number one overall. Um, and she's really carried the team on her back all season long um, on the offensive end. Um, she definitely stepped up, and she's been out for blood for this entire season. So, um, yeah, she carried the team, and they finished number one. And tonight they have um, game game three of the WNBA semifinals, and so just stick around and watch and see what happens. No no doubt. The first two games of this series have been crazy because you have the Connecticut Sun who dominated the first game, you know, on both sides of the ball, and Jasmine Thomas went berserk. I mean, 31 points, she was just unstoppable. <laughs> and then you have this game, too, where Asia seemed to put the, literally, literally put the team on her back with 29.7 rebounds and seven blocks. She carried the load for them. Um, talk to me about the, going into this game three, the the key injury to Alyssa Thomas in game two and how that's going to affect Connecticut and also what the uh, Las Vegas needs to do to continue to uh, potentially win this game. Well, Alyssa has been upgraded to questionable for tonight's game. So um, we just don't know if she's going to be on the floor or not tonight. Um, I'm assuming that she will be on the floor tonight. But I guess the key is just really defense, like, Going back to that mentality of defense wins games, um, I think that on both teams they have really strong offensive players, and it's just really going to come down to what team wants it more on the defensive end. Um, as you mentioned, you know, Connecticut, a lot of people have been counting them out for some reason because they finished seventh, but, you know, you can't really count out Dewana Bonner. Um, they have yeah. a few returning players from – who made that finals last year, and they added some WNBA champions on their roster as well. So I think that it's really going to come out, come down to how each team starts off. I mean, they need to come out and, and push hard and start strong, but also it's going to come out to, like, defensive end. No doubt. No doubt there for sure. One thing, um, as, you know, head coach Bill Lambeer was when he's playing days for the Bad Boys Pistons, you never question his toughness, right? And I think that, you know, his team has taken the character and – brought that intensity and that edge on the court. Talk to us about that and what Lambeer has meant to the Aces. I mean, the players talk so much in the 
conference conference calls about how he always he's a player's coach and he puts them first and uh, yeah, like that's what he means to them. He's someone who you know sees them as human beings. He's someone who puts their needs first, but he's, as a coach, he's just amazing. Like you said, he has that championship experience and everything and that NBA experience, but he brings it all into coaching this franchise. And, you know, he's done an amazing job. He was runner-up for coach of the year. Um, so he means he means a lot to the players, for sure. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Um, this this Minnesota Link Seattle Storm Series has started off with a fire. You know, obviously – you know, to get the game-winning uh, layup by Clark at the end of game one. It was, uh, it was a great back-and-forth battle. What, um, what, what are the keys of this game move series moving forward for, uh, for both teams? I'm just going to keep preaching that defense. <laughs> We've seen what happened in the last game uh, with Clark. Um, you know, it came down to an offensive rebound and a put-back layup at the final seconds of the game um, with the Minnesota Lynx, uh, they're missing fouls and Lexi Brown, who who's going to be out and coach, coach of the year, Cheryl Reeve and rookie of the year, um, Crystal Dangerfield, you know, just making that roster work. Nafisa Collier, she definitely stepped up last game and, you know, offensively you can't really question the Minnesota Lynx or the Seattle Storm. You have Stewie, Super, Jordan Canada, all of the amazing offensive players, former defensive player of the year, Natasha Howard, um, you know, we saw that, you know, each team just kept pushing and um, trading buckets back and forth. So, literally, again, it's just going to come down to, to defense. <laughs> defense wins games. Yeah, and they also win championships, too. Um, what's interesting right. for this series, <laughs> exactly. What's also interesting to me in this series is the battle of the bigs, right? Um, obviously, two of the best players in the WNBA, Sylvia Fowles and um, one of my favorite players in Brianna Stewart. Um, talk to us about that battle inside and um, who you think has the edge of the two. I mean, still as a vet, <laughs> W is going to go down as one of the greatest uh, in the history of the league. I think that, you know, the battle of the bigs is definitely good for the game. Um, but we do see that the game is changing in the sense that it's becoming almost positionless where you see more bigs on the outside perimeters taking huge three-pointers and things like that. And so, you know, in terms of the skills of the game, you know, the bigs are changing. They're evolving. Um, but I think that the Stewie-Sill matchup is, is great for the game, great to get eyes on the game. and people interested in seeing, you know, someone in Phil who's a vet and and Stewie who, you know, is in her prime right now. So I think it's definitely good for the game. 100%. I know Mike, uh, a DMV native, um, the reigning uh, champions right now, the Mystics, they're not in it. They battled a lot of injuries this year. Uh, Emma Meesman and, of course, Selena Deladon uh, was out uh, this year. Um, talk to us about that. Uh, Emma actually played this season. Uh, Elena Deladon yeah. didn't play in the, in the top five. Yeah, I meant uh, Elena. Yeah, <laughs> <not>. <laughs> I meant to say, what's your expectations for them as they get their full roster back next season? Um, I expect them to, you know, push farther for sure and make the postseason. I mean, Elena Deladon is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And, you know, it's unfortunate that she had to sit out this season, but, you know, health and safety comes first above all. And, um, yeah, when she returns, I think that the Mystics will definitely make it for a push and a further run. I think that, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, they lost so much in aerial powers and and mm-hmm. a lot lots of injuries throughout the season. But they really made a statement with the way they finished the season off, you. you know, um, clinching the spot, and so I, I expect them to run deeper next year and to to make a push. To to go to go deeper on that question, um, you know, next next year obviously we're going to be full, we're going to be back to our full roster. But when you look at what you saw this year from uh, ladies like Maisha Hines Allen, uh, Leilani Mitchell, dude, when you when you look at how she died, especially especially Maisha. How she dominated, especially in the last portion of the season when we won five out of the last six games before the playoffs um, started. Do you see another future um, potential star alongside Atlanta Deladon to really help her out and really t- take this team to an entire another level? Um, 
I think that there are a bunch of stars in the Mystics. Obviously, Maisha was in the running for most improved player with the absence of Deladonna and a few other players this season. She really had the opportunity to step up and show what she could do because last season she had limited minutes because there was so much talent. Um, so again, much. I think that the Mystics, they have all the pieces they need. They just need everyone to be present and fully healthy and, you know, to be on the floor together. You know, they have the pieces already. <laughs> it's just that it's just been an unprecedented season, and, you know, the full roster couldn't be there. Um, but, yeah, I don't think they need to add any more pieces or stars. They have everything they need in order to, to make win and make a push, especially for sure. next season. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, next year, hopefully we won't be in a situation with COVID or we, we just don't know what's going to happen next year in, in that terms. Um, to make any predictions. For your platform here, uh, what have you been hearing as in terms of all the things that's been going on with Brianna Stewart, uh, Brianna Taylor, excuse me. Wow, I'm getting my both Brianna's mixed up here. Um, and what are some of the players are saying in regards to the ruling, um, not really getting the verdict that, you know, we wanted? Well, obviously the WNBA has dedicated the 2020 season to the Black Lives Matter movement and Say Her Name campaign. And so, you know, Angel McCartry was one of the players who proposed the idea of players wearing Breonna Taylor's name on the back of the jersey for the whole season. She was the one who initially came up with that concept, and then the NBA followed suit. Um, and also, Stewie was one of the people who proposed the idea to have Black Lives Matter on the court. And so, obviously, the players are not happy with the grand jury's decision on the Breonna Taylor's case and charging one one of the officers with wanton endangerment because, one, the indictment doesn't directly relate to Breonna Taylor's death. It relates to the three apartments apartment within the complex that was shot up. And so everything that they did this season was to raise awareness and and to possibly seek justice. Um, so that work will continue. Um, and today, the players have focused, um, one, on getting people registered to vote. Um, there's a social campaign happening right now um, within the players in the league and the WMBPA called um, Hoopers Vote. And it's a, it's a day that, you know, the professional hoopers uh, – are trying to raise awareness about the importance of showing up at the polls. So while we can't do anything about uh, the decision in terms of Breonna Taylor, um, we can just pivot that focus into the 2020 election and um, getting people registered to vote and getting people to show up to the polls. And so that's what many of the players in the last 24 hours have really been using their platforms to do is to raise that kind of awareness, but also still speak out about the injustice and, and you know, trying to get more attention on on this, on this um, justice for Breonna Taylor. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, for sure. I saw uh, Renee Montgomery uh, posted something today um, about, well, you posted something that she posted about um, Black Lives She had a Breonna Taylor thing on the court, so but that was pretty inspiring on that as well. Um, talk to us about your platform. Um, and everything that is into it entails. Um, you're like the scoop, the plug for WNBA coverage. Like, I don't even go to WNBA websites at all. Um, but talk to us about that in this um, platform that you've built. Yeah, so Girls Talk Sports TV is a digital media platform that focuses on WNBA news, interviews, and updates. It's something that I created and came up with about two years ago. And I really created it because I wanted to give women a voice, a visibility, and value in the sports world, bringing women from the sidelines to the front and center of sports conversation. And um, I created the platform just out of my two passions of sports I used to play and journalism. I, I have a degree in journalism. And so uh, I married my two passions, and that's what Girls Talk Sports TV is. Um, you can get – I call it – pretty much like the cheat sheet to everything that's happening in the WBA. So even if you are not necessarily a fan of the W, if you go to my Instagram page or whatever, you're going to get to know a little bit more about the league. You're going to see more than just 
five players being talked about. Um, I post a little bit of everything. I've also just launched um, Kicking It with Christina, my new digital series where I have candid conversations with women of the WNBA um, about things beyond the stats and scores or beyond the game. And um, we had some great guests, Cheryl Swoops, Natasha Cloud, Renee Montgomery, uh, Sierra Hamby. The list goes on. But, uh, yeah, uh, Girls Talk Sports TV is just really a place where any sports fan can come and feel welcomed and get the latest on what's happening in the league. 100%. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I read in the article um, that, uh, that you had with, uh, with Brandon Robinson about, you know, the the – the crazy number in views that the WNBA draft had this year compared to other years. Where do you see the brand of the WNBA going this year, and how, and how far have they come, you know, from pre, from recent memory? First off, shout out to the homie Scoopy Brandon Robinson. <laughs> um, that's the homie right there. Uh, we yeah. have this running joke of being credentialed as black um, media because you know it's hard to get access. So that's like our, our long running joke. Hashtag credentialed. Um, yeah, so the WBA draft has had amazing numbers. I think that um, in terms of where the league is going, I feel like when you put when you give us the opportunity to see and make things visible, you see what can happen, and that's exactly what happened with the WBA draft. Um, like I said, people can't embrace what they don't see, and so when ESPN put on the draft on its main channel, we saw the numbers spike up. Even with um, this season, we saw that ESPN added more national games to the schedule as well. And so I feel like the interest in the league is growing, and that's because the coverage in the league is growing. Um, You know, women's sports only receive 4% of all media coverage. That statistic in itself is shocking. Um, And so my job as, you know, a smaller media outlet where literally there's no platform like mine covering the WNBA 24-7 and you know, the bigger platforms look to my platform to see what's happening, and they amplify the stories that I may or may not put put out there. And so, I mean, we just have to keep doing the work and being consistent in our coverage and giving these women equitable coverage and equal coverage because it's just as important um, to the top one athlete, 1% athletes in the world, but also beyond the season still covering the WNBA the same way the NBA is covered 365 days of the year. You know, um, you know, one trend that I see happening when the season's over, it's like the lights go out. And so, um, you know, there's women's basketball happening all year. A lot of the WNBA players who have recently left the bubble are already overseas reporting to their overseas assignments with their overseas teams. Um, and getting in practice and stuff and about to play games all over. Um, and so I think that, you know, you have to find the silver lining in all of this and continue to cover the league. Um, but I definitely see the league being more embraced in the future. I see it, you know, getting that equal coverage um, and that people will see the WNBA as, as the norm and not the exception. Like, oh, okay, we have to watch it because. Um, and shout out to the players in the NBA who, you know, advocate for women's basketball and support the league and, and try to get more eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Agreed, guys like uh, Trey, Trey Young and others too. Uh, last question here um, before uh, we, we have you off here. Um, talk to us about the big discrepancy as in terms of, um, you know, how much women athletes get paid um, other than the males. Obviously it goes back to the narrative in society where the male athletes are getting paid more than the female athletes. What are the WNBA initiatives and and CBAs? What are they working on to kind of offset those type of issues? Well, the WNBA is still fairly a new league. (laughs) So what they've done in the 20-something years has been incredible um, to get women, you know, more equal pay, more benefits, et cetera. Um, Kathy Engelbert, who is the commissioner of the WNBA and the Players Association, signed a brand-new CBA this past January, and um, within that CBA, uh, women got increased pay in their salaries, bonuses. There's more money being poured into marketing and career initiatives with the players. There's um, more money being poured into child care and health benefits, um, lodging. So 
you know, slowly but steadily we're seeing the change happen. Um, the highest paid athlete can make somewhere upwards to almost a quarter million dollars um, for their salary at a max um, salary contract. So, you know, things are definitely changing. And as the league grows, we'll see, you know, that happening. Right, right. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I know it's been <laughs> a little bit hectic today to try to get you on uh, with all the technical difficulties that we have. But um, it was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, just continue to spread the word about the league, continue to watch the league, and con- continue to support it. Yep, 100%. Before you leave, um, tell some of our audience and our listeners, of course, where they can find you. You can find me at Christina Williams. Um And we are back here for our final segment here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show alongside my main man, Mike. It was a great discussion we had there with Christina. Um, and, of course, continue to raise awareness of the WNBA game as it, it grows, as, as it expands in the American sports uh, and not viewed just as something else, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great time right now for the WNBA. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I've become a new fan of her platform and everything that she has going on because of her insight and what she – her, her knowledge on the, on the game itself. So she, she's definitely gained a new subscriber, a new somebody to tune in and listen to what she has to say. And, uh, and yeah, she, she did a great job with us. Good luck to her in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really great person, Mike. She's, the one, she's actually a person that's kind of opened doors for me as well, getting my first uh, taste of the BT experience in 2019 and being able to um, have the platform where she's helped me out to be able to go to SBs and just, you know, just overall her – her intel in 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 the industry and and you know open up doors for others and so she's she's been very influential on that. Um, a great person there. Uh, but yeah, definitely gotta tune into Girl Talk Sports TV. All WNBA coverage there for sure. All right, so we're gonna shift things here, Mike. Week three of the NFL. We're gonna go here real quick. <laughs> we kind of went overtime uh, that we we're supposed to do for the day, but it is all good. Week three starts this tonight. Actually, the Jags host the Miami Dolphins, two teams that are in opposite directions, Mike. The the Miami Dolphins, obviously we know, you know, they're they're waiting on their uh, overall pick, fifth overall pick in Tua Tagovailoa. Crazy thing is, Mike, the dude is healthy, but they're keeping him on the bench, you know. So I'm not sure if they want to take the Aaron Rodgers watching Brett Favre route or maybe Patrick Mahomes watching Alex Smith route, bench a couple years and then start, but you know, LeBron James always said the greatest teacher in life is experience. So, anyways, we got week three tonight. Of course, uh, Fitzpatrick will continue to be the starter. And they're going against Minshew Mania has taken over uh, the nation as well, Mike. So, in tonight's game, who do you got? Uh, tonight's game, I have the Jaguars. I, I like what I've seen from Garner Minshew in these first couple games. Our last game, they... They they lost the dog fight against the Tennessee Titans. It came down to the wire. But if you watch that game, you saw that Garner Minshew was absolutely on fire. I mean, he was making some very tight throws. He was under duress and just very composed in everything he did. So uh, I have the Jaguars winning this game. Miami is going to make it tough. Miami is a team that yes, they they uh, they haven't uh, looked impressive in the win column in the first couple of games, but they've been very impressive throughout the games. And you saw you see there's there's a new culture change in this rebuilding stage of the Miami uh, Dolphins. Um, Right now, we're seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback, but I anticipate that Tua Tagovailoa will be the starting quarterback at some point throughout the season. It's just, you know, you don't want to throw him in the fire right now with the no preseason. Uh, training camp has been a little iffy this year, so everything's um, on hold a little bit. You make your add add to your patience, and you keep um, you keep Tua Tagovailoa right there. Let him continue to learn the playbook, learn the system, understand keys in the games, and. Um, Eventually, we'll see him in the game. But for right now, I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game tonight. Yeah, but I'm doubling down on that as well. I'm taking the Jaguars as well. Obviously, Miami, they've got some great players and great talent. Mike Gesicki, Mike, start to get to know that name, the tight end for the Miami Dolphins. The the hands that this guy has, as he displayed and orchestrated in week two against Buffalo, a very 
good defenses. It's not an ordinary defense that he did that. Just some spectacular grabs um, in the middle of the field and a mismatch nightmare. So look for the Miami to kind of exploit that this week alongside, alongside Devontae Parker as well as a deep threat. So they've got talent, but I'm going to have to go with the Jaguars. DJ Chark and, and Minshew has been on target um, all season long through two games, and they've actually exceeded my expectations, Mike. I, I thought this was a team that's going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, but, you know, Minshew has played very well um, throughout two games. Um, one and one in the division, they beat the Colts in week one. Um, nobody's seen that coming. So, yep, I've got the Jags tonight. Um, and I think they should cover and win quite handily, too. When you look at week three, primetime games is the factor. You've got, of course, Monday night, everybody's watching. Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. Lamar, uh, uh, Patrick traveling east to Baltimore this time. They're going in Baltimore, in Charm City. That's going to be must-watch city, must-watch TV, excuse me, Monday night, and also the dandy on Sunday night with Breeze and Rodgers, uh, just to kind of kick off week three, uh, some of those games that stand out to me. Yeah, yeah, that, that game definitely stood out to me. The Cowboys and the Seahawks game stands out to me tremendously because Russell Wilson is is in the same spot he was last year, balling, uh, balling out the first couple of games. The conversation, I want to see what he looks like against this Cowboys team who just came off a great uh, a stellar comeback against the very, very intrigued to see, you know, what they do. Obviously, I want to see what Ezekiel Elliott can do against that defense, um, against, the, against the defense of Seattle because we know how lethal that front seven is and also how uh, the how the uh, Cowboys defense is going to do against uh, Russell Wilson this week. I'm very intrigued in that as well. Uh, another game I'm very interested in looking at too uh, is the Rams and the Bills. Yeah. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, what I've seen from them the first couple games, uh, I've been impressed with Jared Goff. I mean, he started off on fire against the Eagles last week. Couldn't miss, didn't, didn't make an incompletion through his first 14 or 15 passes. And and what I've seen from Josh Allen this year, Sebby, I think it's safe to say that um this guy has, has taken his game. Oh, he's learned, another, Mike. Yep. Yeah, he's, yep. He, he's taking his game to another level. And when he does that, he makes this team that much more formidable. And uh, the acquisition of a Stephon Diggs, is what this team needed because nobody has improved up. more, Mike, uh, oh, than, than, than Josh Allen, no doubt. He had eight catches for 153 and, and, one, and one touchdown last week, but he easily could have had 10 or 11 catches for even for almost 200 yards. That's how dominant he was in that game against Miami. And uh, Josh Allen, like you say, Stephon Diggs opens up the field for guys like um like a Cole Beasley over the middle and things of that nature. So it just it frees up this guy. They have the, a great offensive line, but Singletary. Has been running the ball tremendously. That's going to be an interesting and they, back and forth matchup between the Rams and the Bills, and and um, the, the those are two of the games that really stood out to me. Yeah, Mike, I agreed, and and I think Russell Wilson. If I had to vote now, is my MVP. Nine touchdowns through two games, but man, can you believe this guy through eight seasons has never had a single MVP vote? And, and I think that is just <laughs> words can't even explain how I feel about that, but. I think that he's in the driver's seat this year. I'd have Russ one, Kyler Murray two, and maybe Aaron Rodgers. I've been impressed with what Green Bay's done through two weeks too. Um, that would be my top three. How I grade that um, as of through two weeks as of now. Um, right. Well, but I gotta give some love to Cam Newton as well, Mike. I, I think he's a viable guy for comeback player of the year. What I've seen through Cam in two week in two weeks. Talk about a guy that hasn't had reps in eighteen months, not being able to find a job, but. You got to give kudos to the man. He's stayed prepared. He's prepared himself. He stayed in game shape. Um, he's mentally and physically uh, that he may not be 2015 MVP cam, but I like what I saw, especially in Seattle. I don't care if there's fans or no fans. It's hard to beat Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson in Seattle. And they were an inch short. Again, these Seattle and Patriot games just always seem to stop at the one yard line. But um, I, I've been impressed with what I've seen with Cam through two weeks. I, I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Cam as well. Season that we've seen Bill Belichick uh, do this before, and this is the route I think he's going. You know, you saw, yes, he looked very, Cam Newton looked very impressive against Seattle, but you saw that they got very vanilla with the play calling in some degrees. Of certain, it was certain aspects where it was third downs and very manageable. And instead of throwing the ball and using Cam, to, to be, be that dual threat quarterback, they would run the ball right. or on those on those goal line predictions like that game, like like the last play of the game when everybody you've been running that play the entire game, 
So it was it was a very predictable yeah. uh, play calling to some degree in certain in certain key moments that could have took that team over the hump and could have give, given them the win a lot more easier. But I understand that it's early in, in the season, only week two, going into week three. Belichick does this a lot when it comes to getting uh, letting Cam Newton get acclimated with this playbook, acclimated with this Patriots system. And so I expect them to open up the playbook for Cam later on through as the season progresses and has, as he continues to get comfortable in this offense. But yeah, like you said, these first couple of weeks, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far from Cam. He's just he's just being Cam Newton, man. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt there for sure. And one thing we can bank on with New England, what you see in one week, you will not see again in another week. No team I probably ever I've seen does better week in and week out morphing into something different and being able to be uh, versatile in their offense and credit to Josh McDaniels for that as well. So look for the playbook to open up for Cam Newton as well. But I got to give some credit, of course, to the new acquisition. I don't, I'm not sure what the Jets were doing, Mike, with, with Jamal Adams. I mean, Jamal Adams, I mean, <laughs> has there been a guy that's flashed uh, your on the TV better than this guy? He may not be your old Thomas, but boy, he really brings that edge, especially in the back end that the Seattle Seahawks has been missing for years. And DK Metcalf, what he did too, that's a grown baby, bro. That's, that is a grown man against the reigning defensive player of the year and Stephon Gilmore. So Seattle to me, uh, Mike, and, and I'll let, I hand this to you. They've been the best team through two weeks to me. Okay, I, I, okay. This is where I disagree with that. I say I see Seattle has been a very formidable team on both sides of the ball. They, they have looked like one of the best teams, in my opinion. The best team I've seen through these first two weeks has been the Baltimore Ravens because of how fluid. I agree how, with that. Yeah, that's a good one. They look, this Baltimore Ravens team hasn't lost a regular season game in a long time since early week two, and and it's not even just that how they how they win they. They are a formidable team on all levels. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. They have the ability to run the ball in the fourth quarter with the lead. And they, they, they don't have the big flashy plays. They haven't dominated in that aspect. But they have dominated with turnovers and playing great sound defense and, and dominating the time of possession on the ball. They, Lamar Jackson doesn't turn the ball over on a consistent basis. So far through these first two weeks, I've seen a very composed, a very well-coached, a very well-rounded football team in Baltimore. Um, Seattle Seattle has looked good in flashes, but they've also had stretches where they, they, they can be had on both sides of the ball. So I'm going to give the slight nod to the Baltimore Ravens, but you're right. Because of Russell Wilson and, with the, and the acquisitions of Jamal Adams and what he brought to that defense on all levels, this Seattle team is in the conversation, but I would give the slight edge right now to the Baltimore Ravens. Somewhere John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson is laughing at us like, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, and that's another you, Mike. Better, especially in the pocket. And what I've seen through two weeks, Mike, is especially in the Browns and the Texans game, too, is now Lamar is really starting to read defenses, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, yes. Now it's not just first option throw. It, it's now he's going through his progressions now. You should, that's, that is a scary sight for the league, Mike. If he can start dissecting knowing what defense, what coverage you're in, and then throwing that. I think it was a play on third down um, against the the, uh, the Texans. That actually dropped my eyes. His first option was to Willie Sneed over the middle, and then he had a check down also to uh, 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 Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins. I can't remember who it was. But he went through his progressions and waited until Hollywood Brown went into a dig, a deep in route. They called it a dig route to cut right. in and waited for that against all the pressure, standing in that pocket and flinging that football. That's a scary sight to think, and Baltimore has definitely looked impressive through two weeks. You're right. No, no doubt at all. It's, it's, um, <laughs> this is one of the most fundamentally sound football teams that I've seen in a while, and they're winning in an old-school fashion. They're not making a huge pace passing the ball. They're running the football. They're playing great defense. They're not turning the ball over, and they're forcing turnovers on the back half. This is a very sound football team, and I'm very intrigued to see what they look like against the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Must watch TV on Monday night, Mike. Must watch TV in Charm City. Patrick Mahomes, the last two regular season MVPs, NFL MVPs, um, will be in display on Monday night. That wraps it up here for us, Mike. Any last words? Yeah, uh, yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued. Like, like you said, these two WNBA matchups tonight are, are huge. I mean, the the game three for the Aces and the Sun and Connecticut Sun, and then you got game two with Minnesota and, and um 
and Seattle. It's, those are two very uh, uh, must must win games and very must tune in games. And um, you know, we just have we just have three three top sports tonight that I'm very interested in seeing. Obviously, Miami and Jacksonville in the NFL, and then you got Denver and LA the Lakers. This is a great day for sports fans tonight. Get your popcorn ready because uh, we we in for a treat. No doubt, yep, we in for a treat there for sure. And that wraps it us for tonight. Until next time. Hey, everyone, we're excited just as much as you guys tonight, if you enjoyed this show, and frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.